Welcome to Prescription for Success with your host, Dr. Emil Haldi. Each week, we come through the myths and facts about health and wellness in order to bring you the best advice and the right information that you need to live an incredible life. Now, here is Dr. Emil Haldi. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Prescription for Success. This is your host, Emil Haldi. Every one of us is impacted by cancer, either directly or indirectly. It may be a friend, a neighbor, a relative, a family member, or it may even be you directly. Whether we like it or not, it's an epidemic. So what do we do? Well, let us start first by looking at some official statistics from National Cancer Institute. In 2018, an estimated 1.7 million new cases of cancer were diagnosed in the United States. And 600,000 people will die from the disease yearly. Very unfortunate. In 2016, there were an estimated 15.5 million people who survived in the United States. Yes, survived. And that number is expected to rise. That's excellent. This episode is about inspiring and motivating people to embrace life despite tough challenges. My show is about, about getting the best in the world to share their wisdom and their success. In previous episodes, we had some amazing experts who shared with us some tips on the prevention of cancer. Now, if you need to go back and listen to those episodes, please go back to voiceamerica.com, type in Dr. Emil Haldi or Prescription for Success, and happy listening. But today, I'm bringing to you two amazing individuals that have faced cancer and are thriving today. My guest today wants you to know that not only can you fight this disease, you can also thrive afterwards. My first guest is Dr. Carol Weaver. Dr. Weaver is a breast cancer survivor and a motivational speaker on a mission to inspire and motivate entertain people impacted by cancer. Carol is a writer, teacher, a fundraiser. Carol wrote her book, Side Effects, The Art of Surviving Cancer, where she recounts the saga of survival through meditation and art. Welcome to the show, Carol. Thank you so much, Emil. Happy to be here. We are thrilled to have you. My second guest is Richard Brodsky. Richard is a brain cancer and HIV survivor and a marathon runner and apparently the only one in the world. Richard is the president of Richard M. Brodsky Foundation. The mission of the foundation is to provide support for orphans living in Kenya, raise money for research, for the cure or vaccine for AIDS, and to help those with brain cancer. Richard organizes and runs every year World AIDS Marathon with the purpose to help change and save lives. Richard is the author of the book, Jody, The Greatest Love Story Ever Told, dedicated to his wife. Welcome to the show, Richard. Thanks so much, Dr. Haldi. It's a pleasure and honor to have you both here. We're going to have an amazing discussion together. We will motivate and inspire a lot of people worldwide. To, to live a thriving life. So, Carol, let me go to you. You have a very interesting journey. Tell us a little bit about yourself so the audience gets to know you. Emil, I am a previous single parent. I'm a fundraiser. I am a college teacher. I have a PhD in English. And I've had a wonderful history. Um, right now, I'm writing and 
inspiring people as much as I can uh, on the story of my recovery from breast cancer and also right now how I am managing to have metastatic cancer, but to be living a very vibrant life. So my focus now is a third book and uh, also speaking to people about art and healing. Because when I had breast cancer in 2007, the way I got through was by discovering about a dozen works of art in my fiance's house. My family was far away in California and uh, I kind of exhausted my girlfriend. So what I turned to was anything that could give me energy. And one day I came across a beautiful statue called the Guanyin. People who know about Tibetan and Chinese art know that the God of compassion is a, a very beautiful man, but he's dressed in women's clothes. Uh, it looks like that anyway. And he is the God of compassion. He hears the cries of the mother as she's giving birth or the soldier who's been wounded and he lavishes compassion upon them. Anyway, that was the beginning of my discovery of certain works of art. I liked the Guanyin because he didn't have breasts, but he looked like a woman, and I was facing a mastectomy. There were other items in the house which I loved. Um, the book on Chinese slippers. Do you know the, the Chinese have or had a custom of um, taking four-year-olds and breaking their feet so that they would not grow. And uh, this is this was something that I don't think has been done anymore. But because of the condition of the feet, um, there were beautiful slippers made to cover them. And I was fascinated with that, especially facing the many surgeries I had that year. Oh, there were pictures of the Blessed Mother on Escudos, these Mexican paintings where nuns wore them as they took their final vows. I was fascinated with that. I was fascinated with um, uh, 16th century woodcuts. So many different kinds of art, and I'm not an art expert, but they gave me the energy and the perspective and the distraction not to concern myself totally with my own wound. And in your book, you uh, know, Carol, you write about the art that helped you in the process of healing. And this is the art you're referring to because it gave you the energy distraction to focus on your recovery. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. Um, it, it, the, the process went something like this, and I recommend this to anyone who's going through a difficulty. First of all, find the art that you like, not the art that somebody is telling you to like, not the museum directors or uh, your art teacher, if you have one, but something that really appeals to you. Some people like lots of color, for example. Uh, they're not interested in sculpture. And then if you feel you really like it, if you want to buy the postcard when you go to the museum, then consider it and find out a little bit about the artist. I think what happens is 
you realize when you discover uh, the sorrows of Van Gogh or Vermeer, for example, who died at a very young age because he couldn't support all of his children. He had 15 children (laughs) and uh, he couldn't paint fast enough that people suffer and yet they create beauty Uh, that if you get the perspective of the artist, you'll realize that we're all eligible for suffering. After that perspective, I think you can identify with the artist and that can give you great comfort. And finally, sometimes you want to create something yourself. That's what happened to me. Uh, After that year of um, collecting the 13 or so works of art that gave me comfort, I decided I wanted to write a book. You may decide you want to make music or you want to paint yourself. So there's an avenue from energy to creativity that can happen if you find the art that's really authentic to you, that you particularly care for. That's very special. What kind special. of art do you like? It's, it's what very kind sp- of art do you like? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I like uh, painting. I love music and different types of music. And I could relate to uh, using the energy of the writer or the artists um, and, and relating it to you, right? Uh, so to help you in healing and recovery because many artists, uh, many painters went through their own suffering and uh, you could That's right. their level of suffering and elevate yourself during this tremendous fight. So thank you for sharing this. This is a very special experience. And I want for our listeners to hear how someone who is, has faced and facing a battle, still facing a battle, is learning how to thrive in a battle, right? Because life goes on, life continues, and you are uh, moving forward with your chin up. And uh, I've looked through your work, and I was very, very impressed how you're choosing to move forward. Life is a choice. Our destiny is a choice. And you're clearly making some very strong, positive choices to go to the next level and and to fight and to survive. So congratulations on the tremendous fight you're putting up and uh, uh, being a survivor. Thank you, Dr. Hadley. Um, I I wanted to point out when we're talking about art that there's a lot of science behind this. It's not just a woo-woo, oh, this this is weird. So much has been done, particularly in hospital settings. You know, Years ago, when you went into a hospital, 30 years ago when I was growing up, it was a very dull place with all the walls painted white. Nowadays, in the last, I'd say, 10, 20 years, uh, you can't go into a hospital without seeing art on every wall and including in the patient rooms. They've discovered that uh, certain kinds of art is particularly effective it can reduce the amount of medication that the patient takes and even reduce the length of time the patient is in the hospital. Isn't that amazing? Um, There has been a lot of work done on uh, the kind of art that patients appeal to, whether it was abstract or landscapes or pictures of daily life. Uh, One, uh, project found that most patients, well, you can guess what kind of art do you think they preferred? Abstract art, 
uh, natural settings, home scenes or scenes of everyday life or portraits. What was the favorite for most patients? Can you guess? <laughs> Probably a little bit of everything, but I would say for me, nature is very calming. But uh, you're absolutely abstract. right. Well, I, I guess I'm like most people. Abstract. <laughs> Ab- abstract paintings, I think, puzzled them. They didn't want to be puzzled while they were getting well. Yeah. They liked the natural setting and not a stormy day, but something very lovely. Very interesting. Uh, so, um, I, I could agree with that. I know there are special. Um, contractors that hospitals hire to make sure that they pick the best setting and the best environment for their patients. Wow, this is so special. Let me go to uh, Richard. Richard, let me go to you. And and, uh, once again, welcome to the show. I am blown away and fascinated by your background, Richard. And obviously, you and I have known each other for a little while. Uh, Richard, tell us about your journey and uh, share a little bit with our listeners uh, where you were and where you are now. I, um, I've got a terrific wife, uh, Joe, that we've been married 39 years, and uh, we have three, three loving daughters. They're all married. They have great husbands. Uh, I, was, I was living uh, lived, uh, in Atlantic Beach, Long Island, pretty much almost a whole life. And I was working for an architect. Uh, then I had my own architecture practice for a while. And in 1997... I was diagnosed HIV positive, and a year later, uh, I ran my fastest marathon. It was it was a good time. I managed to do it with three twenty three twenty three when I was forty five. And people, in the, I, w- I would tell everybody, people in elevators, and it was it was, it was kind of exciting. Um, and I continued my architecture practice. Uh, we kind of kept our story a secret because. You know, being HIV positive and the stigma that goes with it. But gradually, um, I started to realize um, if everybody kept, you know, their silly secret, they wouldn't be really funding for cures and for advocacy. So I decided to write this book, Jody, the greatest love story ever told. It was it was a gift to my wife, and it was a plea to get the AIDS medicine to AIDS sufferers all over the world. So I went on a book tour in 2002, and it was a very exciting time. Uh, it was two months, and it was also hard because my wife and I were never really away from each other for more than like maybe a day or two. Maybe she took her, we took um, she took the kids to visit her parents when they were first born, and then I I met her. Uh, so I came back to New York, and it was going to be the most exciting week of my life. I was I was running the um, the Long Island Marathon. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was doing two book signings at Barnes and Noble in uh, Greenwich Village, a couple blocks from the White House. Uh, Newsday was doing a big story. Pfizer was considering having me as a spokesperson. It was going to be like the Magic Johnson equivalent uh, for the company he was representing. And so everything was going really great. And at my own book signing, I had a seizure. Uh, and shortly after, I was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. My doctor gave me only two to four years to live. And I was, you know, just like I struggled with the HIV and I ran my fastest marathon. 
15 months later, I said, no, I'm going to beat this illness. And uh, it was um, my shoulder got really messed up. I needed shoulder surgery. And they couldn't um, they couldn't do um, surgery and radiation at the same time. I was and uh, most of my doctors wanted me to go on chemotherapy also. And we have a mutual friend, uh, Doctor Casilda Balmaceda. Yes, the only doctor that said I wouldn't put you on chemo if you were my own brother. So I listened mm-hmm. to her, and it was kind of the dead of the winter, and and I just had the shoulder surgery. And I started running again. I was, I was running, you know, into the wind, and I I'd, I'd seen the distance. Like, oh gosh, that place is like a mile away. How am I ever going to get there? And I just started saying, no, I I do it every day. I'm just, I just know I can do it. And like, you just visualize, you know, you're going to get there. And when you realize you're doing something that normally healthy people won't do, you know, on a cold, windy day, uh, you just say to yourself, like, I, I got this. I I can do it. And I, I just kept increasing my mileage uh, about a quarter of a mile a week. And a year and a day after my uh, seizure, I ran the New York City Marathon. And guess who finished the marathon with me? I don't know if you know the story or not. I do not. Tell me. Tell us. Uh, our doctor, our mutual doctor friend, Dr. Castillo-Balmaceda. Wow. She finished the marathon <laughs> with me. And... She's a, she's a fabulous woman. She's very, very supportive of her patients. And shortly after, she said I should start a foundation to help people with, with HIV and brain cancer. And it was about that time uh, I was working as an architect, but when the doctors say you have two to four years to live, you kind of like, well, I don't know. What am I going to do? Just be an architect? Am I going to really help anybody? So uh, I started the foundation, and the goal was to have a marathon in Africa. And nobody took me too serious, but eventually we did stage the first World AIDS marathon in, in it's hard to pronounce it. I'm, it's not that I'm stuttering. It's Mbita. That's M-B-I-T-A. And it was an exciting event. We didn't raise as much money as we thought. The following year, we had a marathon back in the States. And then we read that only two countries in Africa reduced the rate of HIV AIDS from 2003 to 2005, and Kenya was one of them. So we realized we had to go back to Kenya. And at the same time, people wrote to us in Kasumu, Kenya. They wanted us to do a marathon there. And we've been doing it ever since then, since um, 2006. We're going... Uh, to be sponsoring our 14th annual World AIDS Marathon. And it's it's such a fabulous event because not only do we get to run with the Kenyans, but we bring doctors with us to examine and treat the orphans. We, we sponsor four orphan dinner dances for like 800 to 1,000 Kenyan orphans. And it's, it's so unbelievable. Like, it doesn't cost that much to save the lives of these Kenyan orphans. And some of them have uh, malaria and parasites they don't even know it and um, without the medicine um, like 20 to 25 percent of them will die and mm. the medicine's not that expensive so we're able to save a lot of lives but the problem that's is they, that, they that's truly amazing diet. they need vegetables it's truly amazing the work yeah, you're thanks. doing 
I, I want to point something out, and uh, we'll come back to the work you're doing in Kenya. The first thing when I asked you, tell us about yourself, and the first thing you said, I'm married for 39 years. I want to point out, <laughs> listeners, that speaks to your character. You uh, obviously love your wife dearly, and you dedicate a book to her, but uh, it, it's something very special, and I want to point it out, and uh, I'm sure she's been a great supporter through your journey. Uh, also, something else that I want to point out that I want our listeners to really listen and hear what you said. You said there was a, uh, the, the, you were trying to run for a mile, uh, the, the first mile, right? And say, how am I going to get there? And you said, I'm going to visualize. I'm going to visualize. And you know you're going to get there. Just, so we do this exercise quite often when we meditate or when you're looking for something. Things happen twice, as they say, right? First thing that happens in your head. And then, then it happens in reality. So to our right. listeners, if something is very far from your reach, at least it seems to be so, I strongly advise you to take a moment, close your eyes, visualize where you want to be, where you are and where you want to be. Visualize every detail and you will get there. If you put enough energy, yes. enough thought, use, use the that visual technique to get you to the next level. It's something that you use and I'm... I'm uh, blown away by the successes that you've made as far as uh, starting a foundation, supporting this movement in Kenya, saving lives. Uh, yes, and we do have a mutual friend, Dr. Casilda Balmaceda. She was a guest on the show um, a couple of months ago, and by a very popular show, by the way. Uh, we're getting a lot of repeat uh, listens to that show. And uh, she told me that when you originally were facing that uh, diagnosis, she advised you to do something that, that's bigger than you help others, create a, yes. movement, create a mission. And that's something I believe is propelling you, Richard, forward, propelling the mission because the energy that the, your mission creates, I think, is supporting you as well. It's extraordinary. So, extraordinary. One of, thank you. One of, the, one of the reasons why it turns out, well, I'm 67, and I'm the only person in the world who runs marathons up according to the internet, who's living with HIV and brain cancer. And I ran five marathons last year, and my wife ran six. So she, she is a good supporting uh, runner, and you know, we encourage each other. And when you're able to, it's, it's like a double-edged sword type thing. If you're able to help people, you really feel good about yourself. And if you feel good about yourself, you're able, I guess, to run marathons. And, you know, I've, I've thought about it so many times. Like, I mean, how can I be the only person in the world? Um, and then I realized that people with both illnesses, they tend to be very depressed. And yes. if you're going to go down that mindset, you really, you're not going to do too good, especially with the brain cancer. Um, there are people, that, there are plenty of people that run marathons with HIV. There are a lot of people that run with brain cancer, but I don't know. I, I just try and stay very upbeat. I'll, I'll give you another quick story. Uh, my kids all think I'm crazy. Uh, I've got a couple of granddaughters and I'm, we're kind of like, they're the joy of my life and everything. And I told, I told my daughter, uh, I said, you know, you're very blessed. You should really start running marathons and she did run with us years ago i said you know your mom and i we gave you very good genes for running and i said for my hundredth birthday um 
my wife agreed that she would run a marathon with me on my 100th birthday. And there are people who run marathons at 100 years old, not too many. And, and I, I see it happening. I mean, in other words, like, well, why can't it happen? Why shouldn't it happen? So if you kind of believe something will happen, you know, you just, that's, that's how I live my life. Like, um, I don't know. You just like, if you really want something, you just, you just go for it and don't let people tell you no. And kind of like, there are always going to be like people who are like the stigma of AIDS or something. And like, you just kind of like, you stay away from those people and, and you be with people who are like more supportive. And so many people, they're so nice to us. Like, I don't know, I, I could think of a million examples. One comes to mind quickly. Uh, when we go to Nova Scotia, there was this couple, uh, I caught the travel brochures when I was a kid. And this one travel brochure from Nova Scotia, I always wanted to go there. And I never ever wanted to be one of those people who said, oh, if only I did this when I had the chance. So finally, we, my wife said, okay, there was a marathon there, let's go there. And we met the nicest people. And this one couple, they, they invite us back every year. They give us a cottage to stay in that's on the water. Uh, and, they, and, they just, and I said to them, can I pay for the cleanup or anything? They said, oh, no, we just want you to enjoy yourself. And so we meet a lot of people like that. Uh, in fact, um, I don't know if you have many runners listening in on this. We, we met Elliot um, Kipchoge. He's the guy that did the, um, uh, the marathon in under two hours. It was big news recently. Oh. And we, we met him recently. And we took a picture with him. And we're getting ready to do a poster. And he said, no, please put my put my picture on the on the poster. And write something on it, like, we're wishing you well, from Elliot. And it's like, just people are really nice. And, and these often dinner dances, the people we meet in Kenya, the, the artists are so talented. The dancers are fantastic. We meet so many great people when we travel. So um, so life's been very good to... Uh, so the to secret to your success, days. Richard, the secret to your success, I think, but uh, we'll, we'll discuss this after a short break, you, you ask yourself the right questions. Why shouldn't I celebrate my 100th birthday and run a marathon instead of, oh my God, what's going to happen when I'm 100? I love the questions. And I, see, I think the secret to living is asking the right questions because your brain will search for the answers. And if we, we ask ourselves wrong questions, we'll come back with the wrong answers. But if you ask yourself, what will I do when I'm 100? Your brain will start programming you to live to that age and to figuring out what is it you're going to do when you're 100. So kudos to you on asking yourself the right question. Excellent discussion. We'll continue with even deeper and uh, even more interesting questions into your both journeys after these messages. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Aldi Pharmaceutical Compounding is one of the nation's top compounding pharmacies. We work with medical professionals as well as consumers, both human and veterinary. If you're a patient or a doctor and need to consult us, please call us for a free consultation. Additionally, you may purchase carefully selected quality brand supplements and vitamins at discounted prices at hcompound.com. To schedule a personalized consultation with Dr. Haldi or one of our associates, please email us at wellness at hcompound.com or call us at 646-650-5040. You can also check us out at hcompound.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Prescription for Success. If you'd like to reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to wellness at hcompound.com. Now back to Prescription for Success. Welcome back to Prescription for Success. This is your host, Emil Haldi. Today, I'm here with two amazing guests. My first guest is Richard Brodsky, a cancer survivor, an HIV survivor, running marathons and thriving. To learn more about Richard, please visit his website, richardmbrodsky.org. My second guest is Dr. Carol Weaver. Carol is a cancer survivor and a motivational speaker. To learn more about Carol, visit her website, carolweaverlinsner.com. To learn more about Haldi Pharmaceutical, to sign up for a consultation, give us a call at 646-650-5040 or email me at wellness at hcompound.com. And to my listeners, give me a shout out on social media and tell me which topics you want me to cover next. I love hearing from you. So before the break, we had a fascinating, yes, fascinating discussion about both of your success stories. Carol, with you, how you beat cancer in 2007, uh, you, uh, and you wrote your book, and you told us about your love and connection with art, and that helped you with your recovery and uh, getting to where you are today. And then we talked about Richard's story. Richard, you have a fascinating story as well, where you are HIV positive, and you're running marathons, and you also have brain cancer. And you told us about the visualizing things in order to achieve your goals. Yes, visualizing things that help you move forward. And in fact, you're planning to run your marathon on your 100th birthday. You have a fascinating story with your wife, so amazing discussion. And if you haven't been able to listen to the previous episode, I encourage all of you to go to voiceamerica.com and download this episode, the previous portion of the episode, rather. So... 
Carol, let me go to you. In your book, Side Effects, you talk about your journey with cancer. What besides art help you move beyond it? Well, I think it gave me a perspective on life that you can find beauty anywhere. Uh, it told me that artists suffer and yet they make beautiful things. Um, and it, it gave me motivation to do my own creativity. Um, I am so blown away by Richard and his marathons. I am still so humbled by it. But for me, a marathon is writing a book and I hadn't done that. So to, to complete the book and then to build a, a little speaking business based on it uh, regarding art and healing really was good. You know, one of the things he said that uh, I really believe in on a much smaller scale is trying to live for others, for the, for the good of others, building a project that will help others. So in my case, I want to inspire people who are going through an ordeal uh, to find some solace in the art they love. Uh, in Richard's case, my God, all of he's done, all that he's done in Kenya, uh, and to inspire people with this double malaise. I mean, I I'm really amazed by it. I think we need to to see and hear, and you're doing that with this radio show uh, and the prescription for success. By seeing what other people go through, you realize that your own problems are in are maybe not as terrible. Uh, the Dalai Lama talks about compassion for others as the key to happiness. And I think if we focus on others, we have greater uh, ability to survive our own difficulties. Very, very powerful. Compassion is one of those key segments. I had a very smart person who told me once, uh, and I use it regularly in my life, in with anything in life, you could come to the situation either being a patient or a doctor, right? If you think about this, if you come to any situation as a patient, patient is the one who's seeking compassion, and a doctor yeah. is the one who's giving compassion, right? Patient is the one yeah. who is generally suffering. A doctor is the one who is offering a solution or a different perspective to suffering. Right. So it is our choice as human beings to shape our destiny and to see, do you come to the situation, whatever the situation you're facing, as a doctor or patient? And I could tell you my life has changed uh, when I consciously make a decision that I will come to the situation with compassion with, as a doctor. And it does, the situation doesn't have to be a health situation. It could be a business situation. No. It could be a relationship situation. Whatever it may be, but I encourage all of our listeners to really bring compassion to anything that you're dealing with. Because as you mentioned, Carol, there's anyone or someone that is always dealing with something worse. Very powerful. Thank you for sharing that, Pearl. <laughs> How is your health now? Well, the truth is, is that I have metastatic cancer. I was diagnosed three years ago, and uh, it, was a, it was a terrible shock. Uh, I remember go, going to the, the oncologist at Sloan, and I said, how, much, how long do I have to live? And she said, tell your family you have 10 years if we do nothing else because of the drugs that are available now. Um, that was an, an amazing turning point for me. She said, we're going to treat this like a chronic disease, like HIV or diabetes. And that 
is what has happened in the last three years. I've been very blessed. I haven't had chemo or radiation. I do take medication. Um, and the doctors seem to think I'm doing very well. I think it is partly or maybe largely because of my attitude. Um, what Richard was saying, I espouse his, his point of view on the world. Uh, absolutely. And of course, I have no guarantees. I mean, tomorrow they could tell me it's jumped to the pancreas or to the lung. But I do believe that I'm going to survive this, partly because I'm focused on the next book and on inspiring people wherever I can. I have a great life, too. I travel. Uh, Richard, I'm going to take a cruise at Christmas around South America. I just can't wait. I'm so excited. I have a wonderful marriage. You know, this is my second marriage. I had a volunteer. I'm sorry if I'm cutting in. I had a volunteer no, who, who um, sails around the world with her husband. She never had children, and she just loved sailing the southern part of the world. And her husband was a pilot. And uh, uh -huh. she just she has a blog, and I see the most fabulous pictures. So I'm sure you're gonna have a great time. I'm not a boat person. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> I, I get seasick, but but I'm sure you'll have a fabulous time. Well, the other thing that uh, cheers me, uh, or that or that really made a, a difference in that first terrible period when I was grief stricken and depressed and panicked, uh, I I found my I, that I had a grandson. Most of my family's out in California, and I live in New York. But I, when I held that baby in my arms, two months after the diagnosis, I said to myself, I'm going to live to see this child grow. So that was a huge turning point in my attitude, uh, to see this newborn, new life, and to say to myself, I'm not going to let this go. I'm not going to fade away. I'm going to see him as he grows. Uh, the biopsy doctor, in fact, told me that uh, I, I went in to find that I had bone, not bone cancer, but breast cancer in my back. And I showed him a picture of my newborn. And he turned to me and he said, you better save for his first car. So I thought, okay, I'll take 16 years. And there <laughs> I'll be in a red convertible, if they still have cars <laughs> And he'll be driving me uh, uh, around the Pacific, down the Pacific Coast Highway. So I keep that image in my mind often. How beautiful it is. And, and again, we're back to visualizing, right, and living for something. Yes. Uh, I think one of the key things, if we could build a compelling future for ourselves, right, despite yes. the circumstances, despite anything that's happening. And I, you actually made a declaration, I'm going to live to see this child drive uh, his first car. <laughs> That's a declaration. And when you declare things to the world or to the universe, universe yes. conspires to help you. So very powerful. Kudos to you. I am amazed and blown away by your enthusiasm, by you embracing life, by you thriving, and uh, despite your diagnosis and, and you making the best out of it and actually inspiring and motivating people to uh, think about next thing in their life. Because there is always right. the next thing. There's always something that you, you, you believe. And you guys both, you, you, Carol and Richard, you have something that's very, very unique. You both faced and, and, and facing uh, something very, very um, significant, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And you, have, you, you made a choice. You made a choice not to let your psychology be impacted by it. 
And that's the most powerful choice one can make. Because we see people who are wealthy and healthy and yes. and they're depressed. And then we see people yes. who are facing real nasty conditions. Conditions that are life-threatening, life-altering. And not in a positive way, right? And the example that I'm seeing here, it's truly an example of inspiration, example of positivity, example of what everyone should be listening carefully and really analyzing what makes these two very special, outstanding individuals not give their psychology away. Because yes. the psychology is the most precious thing we have. Once we give it away, the battle is lost, right? But you're fighting right. and you're putting up a hell of a fight. I'm humbled, amazed, and blown away. So kudos to you both. This is truly, truly inspirational. Um, Richard, you mentioned something uh, very special. Again, I want to recap. When, when I asked you, tell us about yourself, you said, I'm married for 39 years before you said anything else. So tell <laughs> us about the success of your marriage. 39 years, it's a, it's a long time. Great success. Tell us the secret. Drum roll, Richard, go ahead. Um, <laughs> the secret is, even if, um, I don't know if my wife's going to hear this or not, uh, but we'll go for it anyhow. Even, um, how do I say it? Even if, um, if you get into an argument, just kind of apologize whether you're right or wrong, because <laughs> it doesn't pay to stay mad at your spouse. And, um, just, you know, write nice cards to her, bring her flowers. Uh, uh, I, you know, I, I also love writing and, and that book, my wife appreciated the book. There were a lot of, uh, my wife saved every card and every poem we ever wrote from every place. And uh, there, there were a lot of like love poems in the book. And I go back in time. I have a, I have a, a good imagination. And like I met my wife in Florence in the Renaissance times. And, uh, I go to the future to find the cure for AIDS and, you know, and it's all written in a poem and, and bring it back. And, uh, and my wife just loved each other and we have three kids and we decided like, well, neither of us wanted the kids. So we had no, no, <laughs> uh, so we just love each other a lot and we don't take each other too seriously. Um, we love running marathons. Uh, we live for our kids and, and the grandkids and we have another one on the way. And it's, we also have a nice life and, and people just like really, really nice to me. One other story that, that comes to mind, I don't, I, I, I should remember, it was either our anniversary or our birthday. Uh, we went to Israel and we both really loved it there a lot. And I said to Jody, you know, Jody, one of my sponsors once said, if we ever want to go to Jerusalem, uh, to run a marathon and to run for a charity, he would send us there. So we actually got an all-expense paid trip to Israel, and all we had to do was, was run a marathon and marathons. And it was uh, it, it was probably the hardest marathon I ever ran because it was up and down. There were like no, there's no level spots in Israel, or, or at least where the marathon was. And part of it was run through the old city. And, you know, we had, we met friends there we still stay in touch with. And, you know, having this illness, we, we also got to travel to California like two or three times. We were, were on some TV shows. We were actually interviewed by Ted Clark. And he, he was, he was, it was a great interview. 
And I don't know, I guess we have a much more interesting life than when I was just working as an architect. Uh, we get we get to travel, we get to meet a lot of people, and and just most people are really nice to us. So, um, so I guess we're we're, we're fortunate. Well, you're giving a secret away here, and, and I, I hope a lot of listeners uh, are writing it down. I certainly was. Do not take life too seriously, and I would agree yes. with that. Sometimes we, uh, and I've seen it in, in, in my relationship, and I've seen it with others, we, we argue about things that we probably will forget tomorrow what we argued about, but we keep arguing, right? Yes. Do, do not take life too seriously. Your, your secret, second secret, is apologize. Just clear the air, go to sleep and enjoy your sleep, right? And you also take <laughs> you, you, your wife on a travel adventures. And I know that uh, if this is one of your hobbies, it's, it's, it's terrific to see the world, to see different cultures, and to see how men and women treat themselves all over the world. And it's a little different than here in the U.S. and learn from every culture. So here go right. two things that you, you gave away as, as Richard Brodsky's secrets to successful marriage. <laughs> You know, we I have so I, much to be grateful for. Um, just like you travel to a third world country, you, you just can't imagine. They don't have enough. They don't. They don't. The, the water. We take clean water for granted. They don't have clean water. They have so many people dying from from uh, yeah. unsanitary water. Their food. They don't have nutritious food. They don't have vitamins. Uh, a lot of them don't have education. They don't have shoes. Um, and we're so blessed. I mean, you know, we, they don't have electric. I mean, you know, we turn on a light switch, you know, we just take everything for granted. So if, if you happen to, I, yes. be, you know, we, we have access to medicine, to doctors. I mean, there's lots of problems with our system, but for the most part, we're so far better off than, than some third world countries where the people that... You know what? A lot of people, where we go to in Kenya, they've never even seen an ocean. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I run on the boardwalk every day in Atlantic Beach. I get to, and, and, and it's just wonderful. You get to see when when you're the horizon, like you can see forever. It's like it's like a nice exercise for your eyes, and and I get to do it with my wife. So I'm I'm, I'm doubly blessed. Well, I'm, I'm amazed how much you bring your wife into the picture. So uh, yes. she must be very lucky. So I hope she, when she's listening to the show, she feels and knows how much you love and appreciate her. This is very, very uh, interesting and powerful what you're sharing. I, I'm truly amazed. And we talk about, in this country, we talk about the top 1%, right? How the top 1% has everything. And I've heard a very smart person say that we, the entire country is top 1% of the world. That's so we right. are all in the United States. And we. And by the way, on this show, we are internationally listened to show, and we have uh, 13, 14 countries listening to, and we have some listeners wow. from Africa as well. So in the United States, although we have our problems, and uh, we have uh, problems with healthcare and many other problems, we are still the top 1%. And we are so fortunate because people throughout the world do not have what we have. And it's so amazing, Richard, the work that you're doing by supporting folks in Africa medically and yeah. through supplies. It's absolutely terrific. Uh, so kudos to you, and, and, and I honor you for doing that. Uh, Thank you. Emil, uh, I would love to underscore what uh, Richard said, because in addition to visualizing 
the future as being a positive thing, which I think is very powerful in my meditations. I think that the second most important uh, aspect of my life is gratitude. Um, I was a single parent for 20 some years before I met my present husband. And I'm extremely grateful for that marriage and happy with it. But there's so many blessings we can find. On the door of my study, it says every day is a gift. That is the first thing to begin with in the morning. And that gratitude, if you really feel it, can change your body chemistry. It really can. Uh, I think you're right about Americans sometimes forget, often forget, how blessed we are. Um, We should all sit down every day and count the blessings that we have. I think it makes a huge difference in our personal health. Absolutely. Count your blessings. And uh, I, I, actually, on this show, I had a guest, uh, was one of my first shows uh, several months back, uh, Anil Gupta. And he is calling himself the happiness expert and, uh, and the <laughs> gratitude expert. And he talked about how gratitude changes you. And that's one of the yeah. gifts that you give to yourself. Literally, think about things that you're grateful for and flood your yeah. system, your body, your physiology with those positive emotions. Because we do it the other way. We flood our system with negative emotions. Why not do it properly, successfully, help ourselves and love ourselves? Be grateful for yourself. So very, very powerful. Um, Thank you for sharing that. And you know what I would also say? You know what I would also say for anybody who's like, you know, having a hard time with HIV or cancer, reach out to help. Uh, There's a lot of organizations there's a lot of gyms. If you go into a gym and you say to them, listen, I can't really afford the membership, a lot of people will help you out. Um, and, but you also have to help yourself out. Like, like find something that interests you, whether it's writing. I loved writing my book. It was, in fact, I, I'm writing another book right now. It's, it's the fourth edition. It's called Richard Brodsky's Journey of Hope. And I keep updating it and adding pages to it. And it just, it's, it's my journey of hope. So it's, it's all good stuff. Uh, but, but whether you want to paint or, or do sculpture or bicycling, uh, there's so many opportunities to, to really enjoy life. And I mean, my wife and I, we even love, we love going to the movies. There's, there's so much good stuff. Out there. So, um, don't stay home and do nothing. Right. So, so, Richard, what's your secret for anti-aging? And what's your belief uh, about reversing the aging process? Um, I don't know. I mean, I try and eat healthy. Um, I, I, I do the running. I do some stretching, some exercises. I, I try and have a very positive outlook. I look to find joy in the world and in other people. And uh, I don't. I don't want to, I try to eliminate stress. I don't want to hold grudges against people. And I feel that volunteering and helping other people, it's just all these things I, I kind of like rolled into one. Um, if you're nice to people, they'll be nice back to you. And I just think maybe, the, maybe it's, you know, planning, you know, where I'm going to be. Somebody said to me I should have a five-year plan. And it took me a while. I never really came up with a five-year plan. 
Uh, I'd like to do a movie one day. I don't know if my kids are ready for it because, you know, the HIV is still a stigma. Um, but, but the idea of, you know, just continuing to run marathons. I, I said to Jody one day, I said, one day we're going to be the fastest, the oldest fastest marathon running couple in the world. <laughs> and, and I think if you just, you know, like I'm sitting in this room, it's surrounded with things I like. I love orchids. We have the most beautiful orchid plants. I have some beautiful uh, artwork from Africa, uh, some posters from Africa, some paintings my kids did. And, and, and I work in a very nice environment where I get to see my garden outside. I get to watch the news, which can be depressing, but I like knowing, I like to know what's going on. And I don't know, I, I've been fortunate. I'm not concerned about cars. Uh, we're able, we're able to sponsor another event on Long Island every year, this, uh, 5k AIDS cancer run walk. And we don't, we don't even charge people living with HIV and cancer because I want them to get the benefit of, of exercise and, Everybody wins raffle prizes and there's a lot of giveaways. And so I think helping people also um, and having having a good network of people who are surviving HIV and cancer and looking to help them is, is a good thing too. Yes. Carol, question for you. How do you think cancer has changed you? I think it's made me more grateful for life. It's made me pay attention uh, to my blessings it's urged me to do things that I put off for years. Uh, I'm 76 and uh, I wanted years ago to write books and I didn't do it. But when I got the diagnosis, especially the second one, I said, you, you don't know how many years you've got left. Let's sit down and write these books. And that has been a great source of satisfaction. Um, I did a little bit of stage work. I was a college professor for a while. So one of the things I've done, because I feel the, the urgency of time, I joined the National Speakers Association just recently, and I'm having such a good time there. It's such a wonderful group of people, very generous. And uh, so I'm slowly building my business. But I, I do think as Richard does, does think, and I'm flattering myself that I, I am adopting many of Richard's tenets, that helping others and focusing on others has, has really been a major change in my life. I, I was in philanthropy for 30 years, but now I think my perspective is how can I use my talents to move people. Um, one of the things I didn't mention earlier was the power of music, that, that there's an art form that does have tremendous impact on, uh, on our uh, physical system. Uh, Oliver Sacks said that music is the most powerful non-pharmaceutical drug. So mentioning that to people, encouraging people to find the beauty in the art around them or the art that they seek out, including music, is, is one of my uh, intentions. But I think the savoring of life, I, I hate to say that, you know, cancer gives you these gifts, but I do think when you get that diagnosis, 
that is one of the things that does occur. And by following through, you can enrich your life by knowing that uh, time is precious and every day is a gift. Every day is truly a gift. Uh, I've shared this with our listeners in one of the previous episodes that uh, I've heard it from a very smart man that uh, the advice, if you are given a diagnosis, that's really bad. Say to the doctor, thank you for your diagnosis, but it's up to me about the prognosis, right? Or I will yes. not accept your prognosis. Because there are so many people out there with, with the fighting philosophy and, and uh, the unique individuals that they will beat the prognosis. And, and uh, we know of people who are given a year, two, three, and they live decade or longer uh, or a lifetime with that condition. So thank the physician for the diagnosis. Work with your physician. You know, it's absolutely imperative you work with your physician and follow their advice. But in many ways, the prognosis is on you because keeping yeah. positive psychology is... I would say, such a big part of your battle. It's a tremendous, tremendous part of the battle. Yes, and I, I do think also with the philosophers that, yes, uh, it is frightening, and, and you do have a certain amount of anguish, but if you can get through that, you will find joy. Uh, the book by David Brooks, Second Mountain, talks about people who really have joy on their face, they have gone through something, and at the end of it, they've decided to try to make things better for other people. They're on the second mountain, uh, and I kind of think I am on that second mountain now. I'm privileged to be. So through suffering, I think a measure of joy does come. This is so powerful. Carol, uh, unfortunately, our show is coming to an end. I want to give you about... 20 seconds to give our listeners a final farewell message. I'm writing a book now, which is for people with terminal or chronic disease to show them what I can tell them about the psychological and spiritual habits to live a vibrant life. I hope you will live a vibrant life too. What a powerful message. Thank you, Carol. Richard, you have about 20 seconds. Give our listeners a final message. Okay, well, we're ecstatic about going to Kenya for our 15th time, bring doctors and, and helping orphans. Uh, they have so little, and we're really able to, to care for them a lot. Uh, you just go to the website. We do have another website, worldaidsmarathon.com. You can read up on what we're doing, and we feel so fortunate that we have this opportunity to help the orphans. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Carol. What a tremendous show. I am honoring you both for fighting an amazing fight, for sharing your wisdom with the world. And I wish you the best of health and uh, tremendous miracles with success. Ladies and gentlemen, this makes it a show. If you want to live a happier, healthier, and a more fulfilled life, you need to be the CEO of your health. You need to be guided by an amazing practitioner, but it's your life. You lead it. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, be happy and healthy.
Thank you for tuning in to Prescription for Success. Be sure to join your host, Dr. Emil Haldi, next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for another edition of the program. Have a great and healthy week.